until you understand what your goals are and what your ultimate why is, then you really have no idea what you should be doing. So that's step one is what are my interests? What are my goals? Six month, one year, five year goals. And then once you set those up, identify if they're authentically you or if they're goals that you think uh, that other people are throwing at you. And if they these goals actually resonate with you and you feel at peace with them, then you can reverse engineer them. Then you figure out, okay, how do I achieve these goals? And then you start to put in the work. It's easy to get lost in today's music industry with constantly changing technology and where anyone with a computer can release their own music. But I'm gonna share with you why this is the best time to be an independent musician and it's only getting better. If you have high quality music, but you just don't know the best way to promote yourself so that you can reach the right people and generate a sustainable income with your music, we're gonna show you the best strategies that we're using right now to reach millions of new listeners every month without spending 10 hours a day on social media. We're creating a revolution in today's music industry, and this is your invitation to join me. I'm your host, Michael Walker. All right, so I'm super excited to be here today with Ari Herstand. Uh, Ari is a musician, songwriter, author, actor, and a blogger based in LA. He's been called the poster child of the DIY musician by Forbes. Pretty cool statement. <laughs> um, he's the author of a best-selling book, uh, How to Make It in the New Music Business, Practical Tips on Building a Loyal following and making a living as a musician. He also has a podcast called The New Music Business, which is awesome, and I definitely recommend checking out. And so today, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about just the state of the music business right now and where we're heading and talk a little bit about like release strategies and, and some of the the common challenges and the common opportunities that the Ari see nowadays. So Ari, right, thanks so much for taking the time to be here today. Totally. It's great to be here. Thank you, Michael. Ah, uh, yeah. So one thing I'd love to start with is for, for anyone that's listening to this right now um, who mm-hmm. hasn't connected with you before, could you just share a little bit about who you are and how you got started with Ari's take and everything you've accomplished to this point? Sure. Yeah. Um, so I've been a musician my whole life. I actually went to college initially. I went to the University of Minnesota to be a high school band director, uh, and I was studying classical trumpet there. And I realized very early that year that I didn't want to be a high school music teacher. And I started kind of performing around the University of Minnesota coffee houses and and doing like solo acoustic shows for the first time ever. You know, in high school, I had a, I was in a ska band and, and did that whole thing. And I was in like jazz band and choir musicals and all that stuff. But that first year of college, I uh, started playing out solo shows and and I I felt like I kind of found my uh, calling, like, like something awoke in me, that first performance that I had that was unlike anything I had felt before. And I realized that I wanted to pursue a performing singer songwriter career. Uh, So I told my parents I was dropping out of college to become a rock star and that didn't really uh, jive with them. (laughs) So uh, we compromised and we found a music industry school in the Twin Cities where I transferred to and and studied music business and songwriting. Um, It was just a associate's program. I was in and out in three semesters, but you know, this is around 2005 or so when just to kind of give a little lay of the landscape at that point, uh, the music industry was in free fall. Uh, this was post Napster. Uh, iTunes had just launched. Facebook was just still with colleges. MySpace was starting to pop right then. Uh, Pre-YouTube, pre-Twitter, pre-obviously Instagram. And it was everything I, was, I learned in that music business education was kind of the history of how the music industry used to work. You know, we read Donald Paston's book and that was like, oh, first thing you do is you get a record deal. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. They're like, yeah, you can't have a music career unless you have a record deal or a manager and a booking agent and a, pub- a publisher. I'm like, okay. So I, I finished school 
and I was like, all right, well, I was taught in my music business education that I need a record deal to have a music career. So I'm like, where's my record deal? I'm ready to start my music career. Where's my deal? <laughs> they didn't really, that was the thing that was so funny to me. It's like, they didn't teach you how to get a deal. They just said, you need one to start a music career. So I was like, all right, well, this, because like, they taught us how to negotiate one, you know, it's like, oh, I know that when I get offered my deal on page 74, I'm going to want to strike that controlled composition clause. And it's like, like, great, I know how to negotiate a record deal, but like, where's my deal? So I, I realized I had like, I had two options. I could continue to just sit around and wait and hope that some deal was magically going to appear in my lap because nobody told me how to get one. Or I could just do what I love doing, which was performing music and playing and just figuring out how to potentially turn that into a career. So I chose the latter. And, you know, over the years, I, um, without a label, without a manager, without a booking agent, I started, I was in the Twin Cities still, and I started selling out venues all around the Midwest. Um, you know, I was drawing 800 people or so to my Minneapolis shows, uh, hometown shows. I was getting songs placed on TV shows and, and commercials. I was charting in the top 10 on iTunes. Um, you know, I was, I was doing the thing. I was making a living, um, playing music and having some pretty decent success without much support at all uh, from the industry at large. Um, and after a while, people started asking me like, how, how are you doing all this without a manager, without a label? And I would get back to them. And then word spread. If you have questions about the music business, go ask Ari. And so my inbox got flooded and I eventually didn't have time to get back to everybody, but I was taking note of all the most frequently asked questions and and uh, I started the blog I started Ari's take on uh, 2012 and basically everything I was learning I would put up on the blog and this was because I just wanted to share the information with the musician community out there like I don't believe in competition in the music industry I believe that a rising tide lifts all ships um, and if I knew something or learned something or got like taken advantage by a, a club promoter then I'm like hey don't work with this person. This is what happened. Guess what? You should do this. Don't do this. Or if I got my song, when I got my song placed on One Tree Home, like, hey, here's how I got my song placed on a TV show. And you should try these tactics too. You know, it's like, there's enough money and fans and success to go around for everybody. I didn't want to hoard that information and be like, ha I figured it out. And you know, good luck suckers. And so I like, I just put up everything I learned on Ari's take. And, you know, it, it took off, I think, because there really wasn't anything else out there like it. There, there wasn't another musician writing about how they were making a music career work or just, just giving advice to other people on what they were learning. The only like advice columns for DIY musicians at the time were written by companies uh, looking to gain customers. So you had to read those articles with like a skeptical eye. It's like, is this, is this accurate? Or they, they want me to pay them money for something or another. I wasn't charging like, I didn't start Ari's Take as a business venture. I literally just started it to share the information. And for the first three years, I didn't make any money on it. There was That wasn't the goal. There was no advertising. There was no uh, like sign up for this or that or buy this or that. Like I wasn't, it was literally just to, to help the music community while I ran my own career. Um, but then I got offered, because the blog took off, I got offered writing gigs for Music Connection Magazine, American Songwriter, uh, Digital Music News, Typebot, CD Baby, TuneCore. I was just like, writing now and for these publications which like now gave me access to talk to anyone in the music industry that i wanted before i was just some 
musician with a blog and no one in the industry cared about me or would sit down with me. But now I had an ARIA at digitalmusicnews.com and email and they would sit down with me. So I started interviewing hundreds of people, movers and shakers of the industry, top to bottom, left to right. And I kind of gathered all that information. And now it wasn't just learn my experiences I was sharing. Now, when I would sit down with these people, I'm like, well, I'm the only DIY musician that has access to this person at this label or this management company or this music supervisor or this person at Spotify or anyone. So I felt this immense responsibility to ask them the questions that all musicians have that like, I was like, all right, well, I guess I'm uh, the, it's my duty now to ask them the questions that musicians have and no one gets to ask them. So I would then write about that. I took all that information and then musicians came to me. They're like, Hey, read all your blog posts. It's great. But like, what is out there that can help me connect the dots? Um, like I want a book. What, what book should I read? And I read all the music business books out there. Like I mentioned Passman's book, you know, which people unfortunately still call the industry Bible, except it's 30 years old and the industry have changed a little bit in 30 years, but everyone still turns to that. It's like, that's the book you should read, which I'm like, no, that's not the book you should read unless you're already a superstar, then yes, you can read that book. But like, I'm like, I've read all the music business books out there. And unfortunately, none of them are talking about what's happening right now. Like with my hundreds of interviews I was doing, I was learning all these amazing stories about how all these artists were making a living, a really good living in music, doing it their own way. And so I'm like, all right, well, I feel I have to write this book because there's literally no one else out there that is in my position, who's a working musician, has that, that musician empathy. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not going to be talking at you in legalese like all these other books. And I have access to interview anybody I want. And I have a platform. So that's why I wrote How to Make It in the New Music Business. And then it kind of grew from there. And, um, you know, I'm trying to keep that updated every three years or so as the industry changes. And then, yeah, the podcast kind of came out because like all these interviews that I was conducting with people were private. And I'm like, man, I should have just hit record. <laughs> and then like, because these, these interviews are great. So that's why we launched the podcast. Um, so people could just kind of get a glimpse into the, the play-by-play uh, -play of, of how these, these uh, experts were speaking. So yeah, that's a long way. I don't even remember the question, but uh, <laughs> that's how I got started. That's, that's fantastic, man. That's, that's so cool. And I mean, just a, another reminder of, it, it seems like a lot of your journey was you didn't start out thinking like, oh, I want to build this business. And, and it was really just about providing value and being of service and you know, taking what you're already doing and documenting it and sharing it. It seems like that's something I see reflected all the time is that, you know, the people who end up with platforms, people who, who end up, you know, accomplishing things like what you've accomplished tend to have this mindset where there's folks on like, how can I be of the, the most service? And what you said too, in terms of like, yeah, isn't that, doesn't that seem like the, the crazy uh, piece of just being like human, human in 2021, in terms of like things are changing so quickly, like something that was written 30 years ago, like 30 years in the grand scheme of things is really like not very much time at all. Right. right. But then it's like, you know, the like next 10 years, every three years, like things are changing so quickly. I mean, 30 um, years ago, there was no internet, you know, let alone Spotify or YouTube or Instagram or TikTok, you know, so it's uh, things in music seem to change so drastically and, and, you know, just keeping up is daunting in and of itself. 
Yeah, dude, it's it's insane. Yeah, you know, the the analogy that that I always think of in terms of like uh, of that idea of you know kind of keeping current is that you know it feels like a lot of people they're trying to catch a they're like we're all surfers and it's like we're trying to catch a wave that's already passed like 30 years ago like you're talking about and you can spend a lot of time and energy just because something worked for someone 30 years ago trying to catch this old wave but if you're smart and you you know, pay attention to people like you and kind of and just see like what's the lay of land right now and kind of look behind you a little bit and just kind of look look ahead and be like yeah what what are the cresting waves that are kind of coming up like what's what's mm-hmm. happening you kind of feel what's what's happening and you kind of swim along with it then you can mm-hmm. get this this boost of momentum where you just happen to catch it and i know for like for paradise fears um a big part of that boost for us and catching the wave was when YouTube first, you know, kind of came came out, and we had yeah. you know, a strategy on YouTube. We got about 24 million streams, and a big piece of that was just that we were swimming along with the current at that time. Mm-hmm. But it may or may not be the best, you know, strategy for people nowadays. So I think it's really, really important to kind of stay, have your finger on the pulse, and you know, be mm-hmm. connected to communities like what what you're what you're doing. So uh, at the time of recording this, like, I've, there's clearly like some massive uh, things that are, that are happening with like the the pandemic and people being mm-hmm. kind of stuck at home, not, not being able to rely on, on live shows. And also, yeah. you know, part of a longer term, a bigger movement is just like the internet in general and being able to, to leverage these tools to be able to connect with people. What do you see like right now, some of the biggest opportunities or, or biggest challenges that artists are struggling with right now? And now that we can't necessarily rely on live shows, what would you recommend for people to be able to continue to have a successful music career? Yeah. I mean, I, I think it just goes uh, along with, with, in general, in the new music business, it is a very exciting time. I feel like we are in this renaissance era in the history of the music industry, uh, where artists now do not have to give up uh, ownership and control to the labels like they did before. They don't have to give up all the rights. Uh, They don't even have to give up really many of them uh, to succeed these days. And the industry is evolving that way. That being said, because there isn't one clear pathway to success and one clear way to, to, to kind of make a music career happen like there was 30 years ago, 30 years ago, you could write the book on it and say, hey, do this X, Y, and Z, you know, and, and boom, you're, you're either successful if you sell boatloads of records or you're a failure if you don't sell boatloads of records. That was it. And uh, now it's like, all right, there isn't just one way to, to make a music career happen anymore. There are a hundred ways to make a music career happen now and it's based on what are your interests what are your strengths like you said paradise fears you know caught the youtube wave that was great because you guys gravitated towards that and at the time youtube was something that resonated with you and your audience and something that that you took to um and it there's like always these trends and these themes and everything but a lot of people you know i've i've heard people throughout the years saying, oh, especially during that, like that era, mid 2000, 2010s or so, like, oh, you got to do the YouTube thing. Look at all these bands that are succeeding on YouTube. And like, I had a lot of my friends were YouTubers, you know, they were the YouTube stars of the 2010s, 11, 12, 13, 14, that kind of thing. And I'm like, oh, let me team up with them. And uh, like, oh, I'll see what, how, how they're doing it or whatever. And like, I, did a, I did some collabs with these YouTubers and I realized what it took. And I'm like, wow, I hate this. <laughs> like, I don't want to do this. Like, if this is what a music career is, I don't want to have it because like, it was almost a full-time job of them creating these YouTube videos, these cover videos and like, you know, recording and finding the space and doing that. I'm like, man, I really don't like this at all. And that's the beautiful thing is like, 
I could have a career without actually ha looking and focusing on YouTube. Um, and that's the thing. So where we're at right now, there isn't just one way to make a music career happen. There are a hundred ways to make a music career happen. That can be inspiring and exciting, but also daunting and scary because no one's saying you have to do this because if someone told me like, oh, you have to do this, do this. And then I'm like, oh, okay, cool. That's great. I don't have to think. I just like do what they tell me to do. But that is, if you don't know what someone's strengths or interests are, then you don't know how to advise them. Like there is I, the first thing when anyone comes to me and says like, what should I do? Whether we're talking about pandemic era, live touring era, any era in the last you know couple of years, it's like, what do I do? I'm like, I'll, I'll tell them. I have absolutely no idea what you should do because I don't know what your strengths are. I don't know what your music sounds like. I don't know what interests you. I don't know what you love, what you hate. There is no answer to that. So if anybody says, this is what you should do, get on TikTok, you're like, no, you have no idea what you're talking about. Because like maybe you're targeting 45 year olds. Don't go on TikTok if that's your if that's your fan base. So if someone's like, oh, you gotta be on TikTok, it's like, well, no, you don't know what my music sounds like. You don't know what my interests are, you don't know anything about me. That's not the answer for everybody. That is not a catch-all, you know? And so I think we're like where we're at now is you really, it's it's important to understand the landscape. So like, yes, live streaming has exploded over the last year. You know, I just had the um, VP of music at Twitch on uh, the new music business on my podcast. Um, and he revealed this incredible statistic. He said that musicians who are making over $50,000 on Twitch are doing so from just 183 fans. That's crazy. Wow. 183, 183 wow. fans are the for the musicians that are making over $50,000 a year on Twitch. So now I know everyone who's listening is like, oh my God, I got to start a Twitch account. It's like, maybe, but, but let me break that down. What that actually means. Like the people who are successful on Twitch, they don't just go on Twitch once and, and like, you know, do a, a live stream for 43 minutes. And it's like, wait, only seven people showed up, man, this sucks. I don't understand. The thing is, is like, you have to create, you have to figure out what you want to do, make a goal for that, and then pursue that goal full in, all in. You can't give up after the first try. No one's successful on Twitch after one stream. The people who are successful on Twitch, it doesn't start really connecting for them after like the 10th or 15th or 20th live stream. And then you're like, oh, I get how this is going. Oh, they become a member of the Twitch community. They start interacting with other Twitch streamers. They go, they spend, you know, a lot of their time not actually streaming, but enjoying others and becoming a member of that community and getting to know the etiquette and how people are communicating on the platform. And, and that's the thing. It's just like the same with TikTok. It's like, yeah, okay, if you want to be a, you know, you want to uh, grow on TikTok, it's like, all right, it's not going to happen for you after the first, second, fifth, 10th, 15th TikTok post you make, but it might happen after the 50th. Now, do you have that tenacity? Like, do you want, if, if this is something, that's, that's why I say it's important to set goals. If your goal is in six months, I want to have a million likes on TikTok, that's very feasible. You could absolutely do that, but then you have to spend a, a good amount of your time figuring out how you're going to do that. You want to reverse engineer that. But then I, I always ask you, so it's like, but once you set a goal, before you actually start pursuing that goal, ask yourself, why? Why do I want this? Because I think we're in this era right now where everybody is saying, I should do this. They have, there's a lot of shoulds. Oh, I should do this because people are saying it's important. 
but like really get to the why, the core of your why, because there's a lot of vanity metrics out there right now. Likes on TikTok, followers on TikTok, monthly listeners on Spotify, streams on Spotify, views on YouTube, live, you know, watchers on Twitch. But what is your ultimate goal? And I think like you don't just want to set a six-month goal. You also want to set a five-year goal because is your ultimate goal to be TikTok famous, which TikTok is probably going to die in five years or at least is going to be less relevant than it is. definitely will be less relevant than it is right now. That's just the trend of how social media platforms work. We've seen this over the last 15 years. But what is your ultimate goal? I would imagine your ultimate goal is to have a long-term successful music career. That's probably the ultimate goal. So then you break that down. It's like, okay, now why do I want TikTok viewers? Or why do I want Twitch streamers? It's like, okay, well, maybe I want a fan base. I want to make money from my music. Okay, cool. Well, there's many different ways to make money from your music if that's your goal. But then you're really like, well, what do I love about it? Do I love performing? Do I love making videos? Do I love recording? Do I love making goofy little 30-second uh, uh, TikTok things? Like, does that resonate with me? What do I love to do? What are my strengths? Am I good at video editing? Am I good at recording? Am I good at performing? Am I good, you know, what are my strengths? What do I want? What do I love? Because you don't have to, I, there's a lot of musicians I know who uh, they don't want to perform. They don't want to play live. And honestly, they don't even want to build a fan base necessarily. That's not what their interests are. And they make really good livings doing behind the scenes work, whether they're producers or engineers or write for sync, I get their songs placed on or their composers and like, that's okay too. So there, there isn't really just one way to do it. And when anyone says, oh my gosh, TikTok is hot right now. I should be on TikTok. All the labels are signing TikTok stars or Twitch. You know, you make $50,000 from 183 people. I should do Twitch. So it's like, maybe, maybe you should, but like, until you understand what your goals are and what your ultimate why is, then you really have no idea what you should be doing. So that's step one is what are my interests? What are my goals? Six month, one year, five year goals. And then once you set those up, identify if they're authentically you or if they're goals that you think uh, that other people are throwing at you. And if they, these goals actually resonate with you and you feel at peace with them, then you can reverse engineer them. Then you figure out, okay, how do I achieve these goals? And then you start to put in the work. Oh, what's up guys? So quick intermission from the podcast so I can tell you about an awesome free gift that I have for you. I wanted to share something that's not normally available to the public. They normally reserve for our $5,000 clients that we work with personally. This is a presentation called Six Steps to Explode Your Fan Base and Make a Profit with Your Music Online. And specifically, we're gonna walk through how to build a paid traffic and automated funnel that's gonna allow you to grow your fan base online and the system's designed to get you to your first $5,000 a month with your music. We've invested over $130,000 in the past year to test out different traffic sources and different offers and really see what's working best right now for musicians. And so I think it's gonna be hugely valuable for you. And so if that's something you're interested in, in the description, there should be a little link that you can click on to go get that. And uh, the other thing I want to mention is, you know, if you want to do us a, a huge favor, one thing that really makes a big difference early on when you're creating a new podcast is if people click subscribe, then it basically lets the algorithm know that this is something that's new and noteworthy and that uh, people actually want to hear. And so that'll help us reach a lot more people. So if you're getting value from this and you get value from the free trainings, then if you want to do us a favor, I'd really appreciate you clicking the subscribe button. 
All right, let's get back to the podcast. So good, dude. I feel like you're you're dropping two truth bombs on the on the podcast right now. I'm start looking <laughs> for cover. Um, a, cu- a couple of things that that popped up like an so I'm I'm like a, a geek for analogies. So whenever I hear things like this, like like analogies sure. pop out, and a couple of the ones that really stuck out to me about what you just what you just shared is, and one thing I really appreciate about you is is how you're acknowledging that there's not necessarily like a one size fits all approach because we're all yeah. different and we have different interests, and different goals, different values, and it's sort of like you know, if you went to a doctor's office and, and then they just like, you walked in and immediately they're like, here's your medicine. And you didn't have a chance to be like, you know, this is like, I'm hurting in this way. Or they didn't like diagnose the problem. Then you you wouldn't trust, you wouldn't trust the doctor. Right. So you shouldn't trust anyone that just like, without listening to where you're at, like is trying to diagnose, um, you know, diagnose where you're at. I love that analogy. That's the great one. (laughs) That's really good. Yes. Perfect. That so and then good. the other, the another, another analogy that popped up, and, and I think this is so, so relevant and so important when you talked about setting goals. And, and once you set the goals, also like checking in with yourself, you know, like, why, why do I have this goal? Is this yes. my goal or is this coming from this is what I should, should be doing? This is what people are talking about or what they, um, the analogy that came up was, um, and this goes along with the, the ability to like, once you have a goal to like stick with it, cause it's unlikely that the first time that you like start going yeah. for it, you're just going to like hit the goal. That's kind of yeah. like, if you're, you're going to shoot a basketball for the first time and the goal is kind of like the, the hoop and you're going to throw the basketball at the hoop, you know, it's mm-hmm. unlikely that you're going to throw it and just the first shot, like swish, it just switches, right? Like, you know, it takes right. time. As long as you have that goal, you know, if you don't have a goal, then you might be throwing the basketball around in any direction. It's like, you're never mm-hmm. going to like, you know, um, but if you have a goal, that's good. You can aim for it. And if you miss a little bit to the right, you miss a little bit to the left, you can, you have a feedback mechanism to determine, yes. you know, are you in the right track or not? Um, that's brilliant. And also sometimes the first, the first time that anybody throws a basketball at a hoop, they make it and it's luck. And so mm-hmm. like there, there is definitely some luck in there with, with all of this, like, uh, you know, Ari's take launched a TikTok uh, a couple months ago because uh, we're like, all right, let's say I was very resistant to it. But my 21 year old operations uh, coordinator, she's like, you know, we should really like, you know what, you tell me what to do. I'll we'll we'll try this out. If 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 the community, the Ari's take community is on there and they can find value through this, then I'm happy to try this out. I'm like, you lead this. You can lead this project. So we had four followers and the second TikTok we posted got a hundred thousand views. So like that's also luck. And like the algorithm took it and did a certain, you know, thing there. And it was like, uh, we haven't had a hundred thousand since. So it's like, yes, we learned from that. We learned from all of this. And it's like a constant learning process as you're posting these, these videos, but like, that that also happens sometimes and I, I see this and unfortunately i see it you know with with music is like uh an artist very early on in the career catches a trend or one of their friends pops and brings them along and pops them in their video and then they catch a, a little wave over here or you know there's certain things that happen quickly for people but they don't really know why it's happening and they haven't studied it and they just think oh that's how you throw the ball at the hoop, even though there's no technique. <laughs> they might have punted it at the hoop with their foot and it and it ab- somehow made it in the basket, but like they didn't even, you know, they would not be able to replicate that again. And if they would shoot it a hundred more times, they're gonna miss every time. But they think that this is the way to do it because the first time they tried, 
they were successful. And so that's a, that's another thing is like continuing along that analogy is like, you're not going to go to the NBA because you punted the ball on the hoop, your first try ever. It's uh, you need to, you need to build up that technique and actually understand why things work the way they work. Mm, that's so good. Yeah. We're really, we're going places with these, with these analogies though. <laughs> I love them. I love them. <laughs> awesome. So, um, you know, so just getting off a conversation with the VP of music at Twitch is awesome. So, um, I guess I'm, I'm kind of curious, obviously right now there's a ton of movements towards live streaming and there's a lot of people doing live streaming and, mm-hmm. and like you acknowledged, it's not necessarily for everyone. It depends on, on like your goals and your values, but I'm kind of curious on, um, digging into you know the what 180 or so people that led to a to a sustainable music business on on Twitch, um, yeah. what does that what does that look like or what tips do you have for people? Let's say that they were interested in experimenting more with live streaming and maybe on mm-hmm. Twitch or you know they're just looking to to start doing that but they've never done a yeah. live stream before. Sure. So right. So what what I've learned from not just chatting with the the head of music at Twitch, but also we have a, a course on live streaming for Artist Tech Academy, and and there's people that are experimenting with this all day, every day. Full disclosure, I'm not a Twitch streamer, so this is not from me doing it, learning it, but this is from what I've gathered from the hundreds of people that are in our orbit doing it, and also what um, you know I've studied and learned from this. But the most successful streamers on Twitch do it multiple hours a week and multiple streams a week. So, you know, a good starting point is pick three days a week and block out two to three hours for those three days a week. And this is a really good place to start. Now, some streams are going to go better than others. Sometimes at the two hour mark, you're going to get a raid from someone else's stream. And there's going to be 200 people that pop into your stream at that point because somebody raided you. And then you're like, wow, I'm going to continue this for another hour. Or some streams you're at the hour and a half mark. And it's like, man, this is not, I'm not feeling it. No one is really here. No one's connecting. And then you just stop at the hour and a half and that's fine too. But the thing is, is with Twitch, live streaming in general, and this is what I learned from Claire Means, who's our instructor uh, for the live streaming course, and she is the, um, she was the number one musician on Periscope. So, so when Periscope was a thing, that's how she built up this live streaming audience. And now she has since started streaming on Twitch and Facebook and YouTube and, and Instagram. Um, but the thing is, is that you start to build up these diehard fans who will actually, in the end, pay you lots of money. That's that thousand true fans concept of if you can get a thousand fans to pay you a hundred dollars a year by whatever means, you can make a very sustainable living just from those thousand people. But it doesn't need to be a thousand, it could be 183 people paying you five hundred dollars, a thousand dollars, three hundred dollars. And and that's what we're seeing is like, yes, there are there are a ton of monetization opportunities on Twitch directly through their systems, like with bits is how you tip or subs like subscriptions, you know, each subscription ranges from five to $25 and you make 50% of that uh, 50%. And then, but there's also people that are run Patreons or Kickstarters on their, their Twitch. Uh, The numbers that the head of music at Twitch told me were actually direct money just through the Twitch platform. So that doesn't include the all alternative monetization possibilities. But like Claire told me that her fans, uh, one of them sent her a 
$3,000 gaming computer because her computer was glitching during a stream. They're like, hey, I want to help you out. And they literally just like sent her a $3,000 gaming computer and others wow. sent her all this other gear, a great microphone, or they pooled their money together. Their, her top five fans pulled their money together to get her other kinds of equipment or to buy this and that. Or you start to build this relationship and it's like these fans, these, these uh, supporters, they feel like they're not just a fan, but they're like your friend, they're on your team, they're part of your community. So that's how this is happening. I think like it's very surprising to a lot of people because we have now been, been trained in the last five years in the streaming era that it takes millions of people to earn a living in music, which that is not necessarily the case. It's definitely not the case for everyone. You don't need millions of people uh, to earn a living. On Spotify, yeah, you need millions of streams to make thousands of dollars. That's that's how it is. But like Spotify is not the music and is not the entirety of what a music career can look like. Like that's one component and one very powerful aspect of the music industry the one that is talked about the most but that's not the only way so i think we like we have been obsessed with these macro numbers these like millions you need millions of streams here and millions there and it's like nobody perks up unless you have a million this or that but it's just like i'm actually more interested in the 183 number from twitch with fifty thousand dollars versus you know three million streams on Spotify because one dude at Spotify liked your song and they put it in a playlist. Like that's not as interesting to me because like that happens left and right. And it's like, cool. You got 3 million streams this month because one, literally one person at Spotify liked your song and popped it on the playlist. But like what happens in two months when that person takes your song off the playlist, now you're back down to zero streams. So like live by the playlist, die by the playlist. And that's not really a way to build a sustainable career either. You know, like we're in this era where there are people who have millions and millions of streams who can't sell 50 tickets to their hometown show. What does that tell you? <laughs> so it's like, mm -hmm. those aren't fans. That means they don't have any fans. They have followers, they have listeners. And that's this weird era we're in right now where there are listeners. You can have a ton of listeners passive listeners who have no idea who you are they just like this playlist that your song is on and you might have a ton of followers but followers are not fans listeners are not fans followers want to be entertained for free fans support you financially followers want to be entertained for free fans support you financially so if you have a million followers that means nothing to me unless they're all paying you money for something or another, whether it's a ticket, whether it's a merch item, whether it's a Kickstarter, Patreon, whether it's investing in your NFT, whatever it is, like those are not fans if they're just passively following you on whatever platform that is. And it's really important to put that in perspective. Mm, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I appreciate you sharing that because I think the tendency is to focus too much on vanity metrics and think, oh, yeah. And a lot of times, I mean, there's also ways you can kind of game the system where you can like pay for essentially fake, fake people and make your numbers go up, but then like the engagement is out of whack and it's, and also you're just, <clears throat> you're not really like building, you're not creating value for people when you do that. So it's just like, it doesn't long-term it's, it's, it's going to crumble. So well, that's a good point. And that's why, like when you bring up, you know, uh, inflating your numbers, inflating your streams, uh, getting bots to stream your music or follow you or anything like that. 
it's important before you do anything to check yourself and say, what are my goals and why am I doing this? Because if you say like, oh, I need millions of streams and then so I'm going to get that by any means necessary uh, and including buying bots to listen to my music or, or follow me or anything, knowing that that's going to potentially get me booted from Spotify or that's just going to, you know, inflate my numbers, but hurt the algorithm. And these aren't real people. These are just bots. Why am I doing this? And if you like really break it down, it's just like, oh, I don't, I don't, I guess I don't know why I think I, I need a million streams, but why do you need a million streams? Oh, because, because people will take notice who, who's going to take notice people. Well, what people? Do you even know what people you're trying to take notice of you? It's like, oh, well, manager, which manager? Uh, the manager of a band that can help me. Which manager? What's their name? And like, do you realize that this manager can see through these bot inflated streams and they're not going to touch you with a 10 foot pole if they realize that you bought these streams? It's like, well, I guess a, a label will. No, a label won't. They see through these numbers too. So it's like, if you really break down why you're doing this, and for whom, and you can actually name those people if, if that's what you're trying to do, or th then, then you're going to actually check yourself and be like, wait a minute, maybe this isn't the smartest uh, pathway forward. So it's like, again, I keep coming back to what are your goals? What are your ultimate goals? What is the six month goal? Does this thing that does this buying these playlist uh, inclusions actually help get you closer to that six month goal that you set up? And if not, then you really shouldn't do it. I mean, you should never buy play playlist inclusion, period. That's again, Spotify's terms, that's going to get you booted from Spotify, just like, <laughs> just a full stop right there. And just to, uh, you know, the disclaimer, but, um, but yes, I think if you keep checking yourself and saying, is this in line with my six month goal? Is this in line with my one year goal? Then you'll actually have a much clearer pathway forward and know how to determine what to do next with your career. Mm. That's, that's awesome. And hey, one, one thing that really stuck out about what we were talking about, both like with Twitch and across like different channels is that it mm -hmm. seems like one of the one of the things, like one of the ways that we can provide value as as a musician, and you know, and commonly like the role that an artist plays is is building a community, right? Like like music communities, like they bring people together of different you know different uh, races of different ages, and and we connect um, through through the music, and it's like a yeah. very like a tribal a tribal experience, and so it seems like. Yeah, like any way you cut it, you might be able to game the system kind of short term by inflating your numbers. But then like eventually, especially people who are like managers, like they, they can see through that. Like it's not yeah. um, eventually yeah, it's anyway. you're built on like a straw house and it's going to come crumbling mm -hmm. down. But if you can focus on on really like building a community, um, that's mm -hmm. one thing with Twitch. With Twitch, I thought you, you uh, mentioned in, in passing that I think I've heard this word before, but I don't fully understand it. But I'd be interested in, in hearing exactly what it means. But these like sure. Twitch raids, where like you, know, yeah. you like raid other people's Twitch streams. Yeah. So I mean, you bring up a great point about community, and and at the end of the day, I think fandom of certain artists come more so from the community and the tribe that they are a part of. Uh, it's not just the music. I mean, there's a whole identity that is um, part of being a fan of a certain artist and what that entails and what that means. And, and you know, some of that fandom and uh, identity you can see illustrated at a concert when you show up. I mean, it's like 
um, I'll, I'll never forget when I went to a marshmallow concert a few years back and uh, I was, I, my friend was managing, uh, was on the management team for marshmallow working under Mo and uh, she got us tickets to the show. Uh, I happened to be passing through San Francisco. I just like posted like, Hey, any concerts happening tonight in San Francisco? I'd love to go see something. And she's like, Hey, I manage marshmallow. Like, yeah, I'll get you, get you on the list, get you tickets, whatever. Like, okay, cool. I went to the marshmallow show and not only was I the oldest one in there by like 10 years and I like, I'm not that old. Um, but, but like everyone in there was in this like festival where and we were in an indoor club in the winter we're talking like people were in like you know the the guys were in tank tops and shorts and had camelbacks and like the girls were in bikinis and and like had paint all over them I'm just like oh my gosh like there is a fandom here there's an identity there's a community and everybody got the memo everybody knew this is what you do when you go to a marshmallow concert you know, I grew up in the jam community. I loved going to jam band concerts and there was a whole uh, identity and community there. So I, it's like, that's what you want to ultimately create is you want to create this fandom that has an identity and community where the people, and, and it's across the board. It's not just with the superstars or the ones. It's like, you go to a folk concert, that's an, also an identity. Like I, I went to uh, my friend's dad is a, is a, very well-respected blues musician. Um, he's now in his, his uh, I think, late 60s, early 70s. I went to his concert. You know, there's 250 people there. They're diehard fans. And, and I'm like, yeah, there's a definite identity and community here with this audience as well. And so it's like, that's what you ultimately would like to create if you want to build a career where you're, you're building that community and fan base. So getting back to your question about raids on Twitch specifically, um, what a raid is, is just when if i'm if i'm doing a twitch stream right now and i have let's say 50 people uh watching my twitch stream like hey i'm about to uh finish this but uh you know let's go. I'm, I'm seeing the other streams that are happening right now and, and michael walker he's got a stream and I, I think this one I, I can't quite see what's going on but he's got some really cool lights behind him uh let's go check it out so let's go raid michael's stream right now all right guys Three, two, one, let's go. It's basically like then I bring all of my people who are watching me live over to your stream. And then you see it's it's Twitch's term is a raid. So you see like we are raiding you and you see that like it like pops up on the screen. That's the thing about Twitch is like everything's gamified in there. And so it just feels very gamified. Uh, and so it's like raid. And then you start, you know, you get on the raid train and, and like all, all of this stuff. So there's a lot of these like gamification aspects of Twitch and a lot of these terms that you kind of learn um, as you do more often. But that's a, a that's like a fun little thing that happens and can help you um, build up on that. Super cool. I, I love that idea. Kind of reminds me of like bees cross pollinating, and um, it just seems like it, it's a it's a community. It's a community builder. You know, it's the cross pollination. Totally. It's really, really cool. Um, so one question, I, I love what you just brought up about like community and about identity and building a tribe. And yeah. I'm, I'm curious in terms of that process, that process of like, of building a tribe and building a community and an identity, how much of it do you think like kind of comes by being intentional and, about, and kind of figuring out like, you know, what is the, like, do you think it comes from being intentional and saying, okay, I want to build this kind of community. I want these kinds of people in my community and versus like, you know, just kind of uh, putting out music and being yourself and seeing who you naturally resonate with or naturally attract mm -hmm. or what are your thoughts around that process of building a community and building an identity and 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it goes many ways. Uh, I'll, I'll give an example. When I was at the University of Minnesota walking around campus, I saw these posters uh, around on the light poles um, saying that Matis Yahoo was, was coming to town. And it was promoted by Hillel, uh, which is the Jewish campus house, campus organization. Um, it's, it's, uh, most campuses have a Hillel house. It's just like the campus Jews um, have this thing. So I was like, oh, this is interesting. And it's like reggae. And like, I, I like reggae. And, and I listen to the music. I'm like, all right, this, this looks good. I went to the Matis Yahoo concert. And it was at a club, a uh, club where I saw a lot of bands, probably 800 cap club or something like that. And it was amazing the stark difference of the audience that made it up. Half the audience were like hippies, jam band crowd, reggae lovers, and half the audience were buttoned up Jews. And uh, like, and it was just, it was so funny because I'm like, I'm both. <laughs> but, but I was like one of the very few ones who were kind of both, but it was like such a stark, interesting difference. It's like, okay, because they teamed up with this uh, this Jewish organization. They're like, okay, you're going to get that audience because they're helping promote it. But then also the kind of music that you make, the reggae, and, and you're targeting that community too in the jam community, you're going to get that audience too. And so um, that's, that's a conscious decision that you can make. I mean, who you want to target and who you want to help promote your shows or your music or who you want to partner with the partnerships that you do you know oftentimes um, even artists at a small scale uh, will get offered a little partnership you know do like an Instagram thing or something or another but you really want to think to yourself it's like is it worth to partner with this organization do I want this this organization's fan base to be in my orbit because um, that's the thing it's not always just about um, what your music sounds like because if you are a big LGBTQ advocate uh, and you're you're big in that community, you're going to get people from that community who just want to come and and be a part of this community event that happens to revolve around a concert. And you may half the people there may not even like care about your music that much, or may not like. like yeah, they they dig your music, but they're almost more there for the social component. Just like I noticed that at this Matis Yahoo concert. But it's like if you think about any concert that you've ever been to, it's like yes, there are some people who are diehard fans, but then they rally up their whole crew, and there's always people there who've never even heard a single song of this artist, and they're like, I'm just there here for the social component because I want the hang. So there's always that, but it's if you want to build this up on your own, it's really important to think about, okay, who can I target? It's like, all right, so if you are Jewish, you could target the Jewish organizations. If you are part of the LGBTQ community, you can target those organizations in that community to get them there. If you're part of an activist community, if you're part of, you know, it's like this massive Venn diagram with like 30 circles that every artist, every band has. And it's like, okay, what communities could we tap into? Do we want to tap into? And then we can promote and target them directly. It's like, you know, we run, um, we specialize in running ads on, on Instagram and Facebook and that kind of stuff. And oftentimes, um, some of our students uh, who are running these ads, they realize that it's actually, they find more success targeting uh, an organization or targeting a an interest that has nothing to do with uh, the genre of music necessarily, 
Um, like for instance, this one guy who's um, kind of this neoclassical musician, uh, composer, artist. Uh, it's it's contemporary, but it's, it's cool. For a while, he was just targeting other kind of neoclassical artists and stuff like that. And then one day he's like, you know what? Let me just target ballet. Let's just see like ballet is, it's kind of this Venn diagram cross-pollination, but he's like, I think uh, people in the ballet community would dig this music. And sure enough, a few days later, the New York City Ballet got in touch with him and asked to license five of his songs. And then wow. because of that, also because he was targeting ballet, all these people who loved ballet were now getting into his music. And then he started getting added to all these ballet playlists and these neoclassical playlists and all of this. So it was like, you can think outside the box a little bit. Um, but then yes, you also need to, you know, be careful about what you're wanting, what you're, who you're targeting, because like, you know, I'm a huge Dave Matthews Band fan, and uh, it's no secret. And I grew up admiring and going to all the DMB shows. And you know, I learned started drums because of Carter Beaufort, and I you know started acoustic guitar because of Dave. And you know, my my friend group in high school was obsessed. We're music nerds. We're complete music geeks, and we geeked out on the Dave Matthews Band because of the musicality and because of the intricacies and the fusion and the jazz and and all of that you know i could go toe to toe with any acoustic guitar player like i would have dave offs with people like trading back and forth dave songs these are not simple songs to play on guitar um he had a very distinct style so we are music geeks and this is why we love them and we are in our own little bubble and only when i got to college and i realized that it wasn't cool to like the dave matthews band and that the, their reputation was broy frat boys and sorority girls and like it was douchebags who loved the Dave Matthews like I had no idea and I'm like wait a minute like I'm not a frat boy I'm not a douchebag like wait I don't understand that so like they had gotten kind of caught up in that in that community whereas like in the kind of mid 90s when they broke out they were part of because they were like opening for fish and they were part of the jam community. And then right around the late 90s, early 2000s, it started to shift from the jam band community to the frat boy community because uh, for this and that, they started playing you know, more college parties. And, and in that scene, that's when the community also shifted. And so there was this repulsion to the Dave Matthews Band by people not part of this community that was outside of it and that was the reputation so yes you want to be careful about which communities you do target and who you're a part of and sometimes it, it will happen that you just have no say i remember um the beastie boys similarly saying uh, in an interview uh one of them i don't remember which but was saying like they you know early on in their career they were touring with some of the uh most respected hip-hop artists in the in the scene and then they had one hit they got their hit on the radio and then they started to see their their crowd shift from hip-hop fans to they his words were like douchebags <laughs> and uh and that was like what he was saying he's like man i started to hate our fans and it's like you got to be careful because at that point they were you know they weren't doing any of their targeting it was all the label and the label's intentions were how do we get it's like how do we get more dollars by any means necessary? Doesn't really matter how we're getting this money. Let's just get this money. And so the label does not have the band's best interests in mind. The label has their own best interests in mind. It's like, how do we make money? 
And so they're like, well, we will take any partnership. We'll put their music everywhere. We're going to target everything. And we're going to just make sure that we make money from this. And the band was like, yo, like this is, this is not the reputation we want. This is the crowd that's here. It's like, yeah, we're happy we sold tickets, but this fan base is, is it, like, it didn't represent them at all. And it kind of got away from them. So you do have to be careful about that. Hmm. That's so interesting. Yeah. It, of course, another, another analogy that, that comes to mind is it that really relates to like what you described with how it sounds like sometimes it's not even about just targeting people you think are the exact right fit, but it's about finding people mm-hmm. who are kind of complementary and people who like you know, targeting interests mm-hmm. of like ballet. And it's kind of like, you know, if you're going to play a chord on the piano and you're only playing the exact same note, then it's kind of dull. It's like the exact same yeah. note. But if you like add these harmonic notes and these chords, then, you know, it, it creates a richer experience. And it sounds like mm. you know, that's one of the ways you can think about like you know, creating these audiences and having good tour packages, kind of finding where do, the, where do those complementary notes, they harmonize together. And you got to be really... careful because occasionally that tritone might, might uh, fall in, in there and you're not really thrilled about that tritone. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It sounds like, yeah, you might end up playing a chord that you weren't uh, intending to, but, but it is, mm-hmm. yeah, it is interesting. Just like, you know, that what you hate, <laughs> <laughs> like the resonance right like the resonance of what what kind of harmonizes with it and uh, that's super interesting totally totally all right well hey ari it's been awesome talking with you i really appreciate you taking the time to be here and it's uh, been a fun fun conversation i feel like we've gone um a lot of different a lot of different places and i've enjoyed enjoyed where where we've gone and the analogies i I feel like the analogies usually they're on like on a scale one to ten maybe like a four during this conversation i say that we both brought it up to like a 12 for sure so you are a master of analogies i love that i'm gonna start hitting you shooting you messages be like all right can you come up with an analogy for this this concept this is great i love it i'm gonna steal some of them <laughs> Any, anytime man i'll be your analogy <laughs> amazing um, thank you so for anyone who is listening or watching this right now and um wants to learn more from, from you and like some of the different courses that you offer what would be the best place for mm-hmm. them to check out check out more yeah everything aristake.com is kind of the hub for everything we do um the academy we only open enrollment a couple times a year so depending on when you're listening to this uh enrollment may be open or not but um, I would just encourage to sign up on the email list at aristake.com. I send out all the blog articles I write or any of the information that I learn about. That's where all the info goes is to the email list at aristake.com. Cool. Awesome. So one thing we'll, we'll do, like always, we'll put all the um, information in the show notes. So you can click on it cool. and go there. And I mean, if anyone's like following this podcast and you don't follow Ari, then you you absolutely should because you know he's talking with a lot of really cool people. And he's he's one of the people I think that has been here for the longest, has really built a tribe, built a community, and is focusing on it from the point of view of of the artists. And so, yeah, I would, I would highly recommend that anyone who's listening to this who isn't currently um, a part of Ari's community, go, go check it out. Thank you so much. Hey, it's Michael here. I hope that you got a ton of value out of this episode. Make sure to check out the show notes to learn more about our guest today. And if you want to support the podcast, then there's a few ways to help us grow. First, if you hit subscribe, then that'll make sure you don't miss a new episode. Secondly, if you share it with your friends or on your social media, tag us. That that really helps us out. And third, uh, best of all, if you leave us an honest review, it's going to help us reach more musicians like you who want to take their music careers to the next level. The time to be a modern musician is now, and I look forward to seeing you on our next episode.